Hello, I'm Dan. And I'm Simon. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find. Simon, what are we talking about this week? This week, Dan, we are talking about Red Hills Wind Farm. Red Hills Wind Farm. It's pretty much what I imagine you think it is. It's a farm of wind. Where they make wind. Well, uh, famously, our friend Katie at Exeter did say, <laughs> say this once. She thought that wind farms were how they made wind. Um, so you, she came up with some absolute bangers, as did Pixel Girl. Um, it's got to be said. We <laughs> like, they're very intelligent people. Katie is... is um, uh, a paralegal? I can't remember what she's actually doing. She's in law. I think she's. I think she's just actually starting her training contract. Right. So she's. 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 She was a, a, paralegal, a yeah. lawyer to be. Yeah. Um. And Pixel Girl is a a polyglot and teacher. But they are. <laughs> they did say some things like I don't know if you can remember any of the other classic ones. There's one other Pixel Girl one which I can share. Not off the top of my head. The Pixel Girl one was. This was before we were dating. Um. And we went to the Imperial in Exeter mm. um, and um, which is a very fine pub and basically she ha- said she had a science question but she wasn't sure if it was too dumb to ask so she basically so our friend Peter was like okay well I'll ask me and I'll relay it <laughs> and see, see what it is and basically she whispered something in his ear and he, and he immediately went no no that's very stupid <laughs> <laughs> which the question was have we ever landed humans on Pluto uh. which yeah, I mean, if you don't know very much about space, I, I guess is is a perfectly reasonable question. But it was just the the way that he just heard it and immediately was like, "No, no, no, that's very stupid." A very, a very sort of immediate <laughs> answer from the inter intermediary, Peter. Yeah, the the emissary, yeah. <laughs> Peter Robinson. So red. Red Hill, did you say? I was going to say, before we talk about the article, we should probably address a couple of things, Ooh, yes. um, which is that um, this is the first time we've recorded in a while. The last episode came out not that long ago, um, but was very delayed because we actually, in that episode, which came out in early to mid-January, we're talking about how exciting it is that the, the Jingle Jam has just started. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was delayed basically because I unfortunately got quite sick. Again. Um, I... <laughs> For the, for the second and third time, you've had some rotten um, I, luck. I really did. I, I got what I'm pretty sure. We don't have any confirmation of this, but I'm pretty sure it was Delta, uh, the Delta variant of COVID, um, which was in mid December. So just after the, I, I did my Jungle Jam streams. I, I think I actually got it from someone in the Oxcast, um, and then that was okay. Fine, it'll be done before Christmas. We can go and have Christmas at Pixel Girls family mm-hmm. um and then right at the end of my time with delta i had a wisdom tooth come through um which was you know not the best i was like ah, fine okay uh, but we can go in and have christmas and then we went to pixel girls families for christmas and i got omicron from her sister so amazing i then was out for, for about another 10 days um and so i just you know got absolutely naffle work done for like at least four weeks um so apologies that that was delayed but uh it was for a a reasonable reason and how are you feeling now i'm i'm not a hundred percent just yet i feel like i'm 98 99 percent of the way there i was normally in my schedule i'd actually go swimming this morning but i sort of i was 
I, I know that this is a very defeatist attitude normally, but I had this attitude of if I go, I'm not convinced that I could actually do it. Mm. Um, and something that I do with exercise quite frequently is I go from nothing to I should really get back into exercise and I w- overdo it way too quickly mm. and I just burn out. So I'm just being kind of cautious this time round. Um, so I feel like I've, I'm about there. My internal battery, I think, is almost completely recharged. So Good. Oh, I'm glad you're feeling better. Yes. Um, and I'm glad that I, I'm able to record with you again and actually you know because i was well enough to travel i was able to see you just last week indeed um which was a lovely surprise we came down to exeter to um have a chat about the wedding which just saying that feels a bit weird which is mad isn't it um <laughs> uh, but having a meeting with our friend michael and um our, our vicar hannah who's going to be running the service for us and just sort of about you know what what's going to go in the service what order we'd like it to be in uh the music um some of the logistics in terms of the in, the intro introit you know for processional that's the one when when, mm. she, when pixel girl walks in um yeah it was all just all just very exciting and then we were able to meet up at uh, another pub funny that it's a common thread of our social group isn't it yeah um meeting up at yet another pub in exeter and i uh, got to see you how was your christmas my christmas was both sort of simultaneously very different and felt very strange but completely lovely in that for the past certainly four and a for maybe five years, um, I normally can't get home um, to see my family until at least the evening of the t- evening of St Stephen's Day, Boxing Day, maybe the twenty seventh, because I'm usually singing right the way through, um, having been involved with the cathedral. Um, because mm. Christmas for the church, understandably, is quite an important time of year. So there's lots, <laughs> there's yeah. lots going on. Yeah, I've heard this. Um, and there was a possibility that I might be doing the same thing this year, but just at Buckfast Abbey, not at uh, the cathedral. But as it turned out, um, there wasn't really as much for me to be doing. And it, the sort of proposed schedule meant that I sort of might not really be doing anything for, I don't know, a week or so, and then a random service. So I ended up going home early. I drove home, driving home for Christmas. I was dr- I drove home um, on the, I think, the 11th of December, um, which was ludicrously early. And not something I'm sort of really used to. Um, partly just because I had nothing to do in Exeter. And then there was meant to be a concert to launch this Christmas disc, Vidimus Glorium Eus with Luciat, um, in Keeble College on the 17th, I think. Um, but sadly, that was cancelled because of um, the wretched Rona. So I just spent it at home and it was lovely. Because in a particular Christmas has been scuppered, you know, and so many services have been taken off the books, but because of the virus. What if the church just invented Christmas 2.0? And, you know, you know, is there, is there a festival that they could just slot into the calendar to make up for lost time, you know, and get people back in? I mean, what would, what would that even... I know there's Easter. Don't say Easter, because I know you're thinking it. Well, I suppose they could make a, a bigger deal, not that it's not currently made a big deal of, but, you, you know, you could maybe throw a bit more weight onto Epiphany. Which is the it's middle of January, it's, isn't it? It's coming up, yeah. It's something like, is it the sixteenth? And is the no? Um, oh gosh, what's what is Epiphany? When no, it's not when the kings arrive. I don't. I, I'm my law is rusty, Dan. So this year it falls actually on the sixth of January, but I know because most choirs haven't sort of started up and sit until and you know until that point. Um, there's Epiphany Carol services that are happening. Certainly. So if we look at Canterbury Cathedral, they did a service on the 9th, whereas 
Exeter Cathedral. Anyway, it's going to be later in, in January. I know certainly that the the University of Exeter Chapel Choir um, are doing theirs on the 22nd of January. Um, right. And that will be quite jolly. And there's some, you know, this epiphany music is, is fantastic. Um, but you, I suppose you could sort of do that. But I, I think, f- thankfully, lots of places, even with coronavirus, provided that the choir and members of clergy weren't sort of struck down with with the plague, um, they managed to go ahead in one form or another or another. So it might have meant distancing in the building. It might have meant that the service was actually streamed rather than having a full sort of mm. um, full attendance. The only place I know of off the top of my head that actually just had to sort of gut everything because there were so many, you know, bodies down, if you like, was um, Bristol Cathedral. Oh, blimey. Who did know, so there was no Christmas services there. I don't think they did any carol concerts. I don't think there was a Christmas day or anything. Um, it was just sort of cancelled because there were so many people, both clergy and choir, that were, were taken down, as as I understand, um, which is a great shame. But I still think that there's a there's a still potential for Christmas 2.0. I just I just feel like they could, you know, say, oh, we we found, you know, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, and mm. it was like absolutely wild. They were like, yeah, we, um, that happened again. It turns out there's a there's a new festival in May. And it, you know, and we're going to go on a big television campaign. We're going to get people going on Graham Norton. Um, I don't know which the best clergy person to go on Graham Norton would be, oh, Archbishop gosh. of Canterbury, possibly. <laughs> like it's a new film that's come out, and they're just you know, we just got to push the publicity for it. Hey, you've just you've made me think, and I know that I really ought to just sort of put a pin in this, and maybe I will. But when you mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls, hmm. that made me think of something that's dead and in the sea that has recently been discovered which is quite cool and exciting especially for someone with your sort of interests oil no (laughs) that's just my immediate thought it's quite big Um, and begins with an i and it's very old incredibly old oil you got it got it in one nailed it it was an ichthyosaur wasn't it yeah exactly yeah i watched the news report last night it was really good yeah which is I, i so funnily enough i actually um I, I, so I used to want to be a paleontologist. That was one of my like childhood dreams. Um, but I actually have a friend who I went to school with who became a paleontologist and specifically um, became an, somebody who studies ichthyosaurs. <laughs> so I actually wonder if Ben has had something to do with this. But yeah, so for people that don't know, it was basically like a the the prehistoric paleo... Um, Paleolithic, ver- not Paleolithic, that's definitely wrong, Mesozoic uh, version of a dolphin. Like mm. that, that's sort of the, the niche it was in. But this thing is, when I saw the picture, I was, I took my breath away because it's like the length of a double decker bus. Yeah. It's, it's 10, it's 30, 33 feet or 10 meters long. Um, and, but in the shape of kind of like a, what well, if you, if you imagine a really old timey dolphin, like it is two dolphins, what, um, Oh god, what was the name of the Pokemon? Aerodactyl is to like a, a hawk. <laughs> that's that's a terrible comparison. But you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean the thing that the thing that blew my mind is they were interviewing this chap and he was so excited, not only because, you know, it's I think I'm right in saying it's the most complete ichthyosaur fossil discovered. It's also the largest ichthyosaur fossil discovered, which in turn makes it the largest sea sort of creature complete that's ever been discovered. Yes, because there, there have been larger 
um, mosasaurs and, and things like that. Mm. Um, although the, the the one that everybody thinks of was from Walking with Dinosaurs, which was like Pluridon, which we think was actually not as big as we thought it was. Mm. Like I think we were, I think paleontologists were extrapolating based on a youngster. They were like, "Wow, <laughs> this is a teenager. How much bigger do these things get?" It's about and the size like, of the moon. Know. Hang on, maybe we need yeah. to reassess. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out the continent of Asia is just a giant fossil. We're all just living on it. <laughs> Um, but um, yes, so, so yeah, that was that was very exciting actually. Good God, we're, we're, we we haven't actually talked about the article yet, you know, Dan. Even by our standards, this is really meandering. Red Hills Wind Farm. Red Hills Wind Farm, um, which is a wind farm where they create wind, as is known, in a place called uh, Red in, Hills, in Oklahoma. I thought it was going to be America. It's it's very American sounding. It, yeah. it it sounds either like an American name or a default name of a city that's been generated in like city skylines. Mm. Like that's that they capture the vibe of especially like is Oklahoma the Midwest? Is that the right region? I I don't know American geography terribly well. Um, but you know that that bit of America, that swath of lots of open. That's land. a musical called Oklahoma. I know that much. It's what um oh what a beautiful morning comes from, mm. isn't it? Which is the sorry? This is one of my favourite like little factoids about musical theatre. Which was um, when Hugh Jackman went to audition for Oklahoma, he he did that song, and he said everybody in the panel, like the the audition panel, started singing along. Mm. And he said, "I can't tell if this is the best audition of my life or the worst audition of my life." Yeah, <laughs> which I feel like if you were to go for. Tenebrae or the 16 and they all just started singing along <laughs> I had a well uh, my my audition for the University of Exeter Chapel Choir was I sang um, a piece called Parnis Angelicus by is that Frank oh that sounds right but I'm not sure you're the expert here I think it is I think it's Frank anyway um, yeah I sang that and then sang When Somebody Loved Me from Toy Story 2 and Michael started singing along and then sort of improvising a piano part underneath and we just sort of sang that to each other and then we're like okay yeah that's done let's have a chat <laughs> which was again a similar sort of like well i hope that surely must have gone well then <laughs> but, right? but it's a little bit intimidating isn't it, it is as soon as anything doesn't really go to plan like <laughs> this, this isn't the way i thought this would go um but okay yes so uh, anyway it's in oklahoma uh, it's near elk city um which is a population ten thousand city sorry 12 12,000 city um it's spread across 5,000 acres and it has uh 82 wind turbines generating a total of 123 megawatts right so I could put can you put that into a sort of can you place that within a context of power yeah i was really hoping you wouldn't ask me that okay um, can you can you not place that in a context of power so it's less than the lhc uses but more than an LED light uses. Brilliant. Well, that narrows it down beautifully, doesn't it? This is why, this is why I am a professional science communicator, Dan. <laughs> um, so, uh, hang on, I'm just trying to find out. So, one megawatt hour, because this is the thing. There's like the difference when you talk about power generation. Like engineers will sometimes talk about megawatts and megawatt hours. Megawatts is the actual output of a system and megawatt hours is a quantity of energy that has been generated by a certain generation over the course of an hour so like yeah. one megawatt hour is one megawatt generated for an hour well, i've read something here that says a typical coal plant 
uses about six. It's well, it's about six hundred megawatts in size. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to um, get a comparison for houses. So, right, so um, a house will typically consume about two megawatt hours. So actually, this thing is powering quite a few households. Um, interesting. Okay, that's uh, yeah, that's that's more than I thought. So, 123 megawatts. I can't be bothered to do the mental maths, but that's you're looking at the order of uh, probably a few thousand households. I sure, get, I, that's probably wrong, but that, it's gonna be it's not gonna be a million, and it's not gonna be ten. No, it's probably gonna be about in the thousands. So, okay, interesting. Um, I mean, it's perfect example of you know. This, this is the, one of the wonderful things about renewables is they're great for low population density areas mm. like Oklahoma. Um, because if you have, if you're trying to power a city like Tokyo or Seoul or Mexico City, you know you are realistically going to have to have an incredibly intense lot of power generation because you're not going to have very much area to work with, and then you've got to transmit it to people. Whereas if you have in somewhere like Oklahoma or somewhere that's in the global south, um, like rural India, for example, having uh, renewables means that you know you don't you don't waste lots of power by having a huge coal power plant and then transmitting it to all of these villages over an enormous area and then having lots of transmission costs. Um, it's just more efficient this way, and it's obviously better for the atmosphere, and it's more. Um, you know, it's easier to maintain. Mm. It does. It's it's interesting. It says that actually, it's created fifteen full time local jobs, um, just just running the farm, which I imagine is quite a pleasing job to have. You're just going around and checking in on these these wind turbines, and you know, I I don't know why that's quite a romantic image to me. You just sort of drive up over, over this five thousand acre, um, you know, site. Um, mm. You got to go in and be like, ah, oh, you know, old Bessie's gone down again. Like, oh, typical old Bessie. Right? It's probably that third, you know, wing that we installed, right? I'll go and check her out. Go on, get back in the pickup truck, and then you know, drive out. You go up, you put in the new wing or whatever the you do. I, I don't know. That is that just me? Is that quite a? Yeah, romantic I think what image? you do is you you change one of the hamsters, don't you? Because <laughs> they get naturally, they do get quite tired. So you you know. Yeah, you you got to go in and top up the little water bottle. Yeah, like. God, that'd be horrifying if instead of a wind farm, it's just these twenty foot across hamster wheels, <laughs> and each hamster has like an acre of land. Mm-hmm. And you know, when it when it wants to get some exercise, it just goes in the wheel and it's like, <laughs> and you know, you've got to go in and, and and grease the wheel, and you've got to, but also you've got to go in, feed the hamster, yes, you know, top up the water, assuming there's not enough water from rain. Mm. But you've also got to, you know, if this is a hamster that's eight foot long or whatever it is. You know, you've got to make sure you're not going to get eaten by that thing. Yeah. They will, because they're they're omnivorous. Absolutely. I mean, capybaras are incredibly chill, but there's no guarantee that an eight-foot rodent, you know, would would be chill. Wouldn't have a go. I mean, look at the teeth. Yeah. The teeth on rodents are incredible. That's, um, it's ferrets, isn't it? Where um, a, a relatively frequent injury that ferret owners have to deal with is that they're they'll be bitten and they can actually reach into the bone and like cut into the bone with their teeth. Just horrifying. <laughs> my, my, I think my, I think my dad had ferrets because he grew up on a sort of like, you know, like a, a farm in Northern mm. Yorkshire. So it was also basically like fast forward, I don't know, at least half a century, at least, but, but you know, behind sort of current sort of times and things. And he used to go out, like ratting or rabbiting with ferrets where you'd keep it in a little box and it would and you'd cover you know 
cover holes and the rabbit they they push the like flush the rabbits out the warren and and then eat them and yeah mm. i mean i am um, I, I i always associate ferrets with ferret racing oh yeah which is a very west country thing i, I remember it was the first term i'd spent at oxford and i'd it's, it's you know first time at any uni is quite disorienting anyway but obviously going to somewhere like oxford it's it's a hell of a culture shift mm. um and i remember when we drove back home going through the a roads and seeing a sign that said it was for a pub and it was like we have ferret racing here and i was like i'm home yeah this is great <laughs> my uh, uh, um, my people and just just to confirm to people how that works like basically you just have a bunch of tubes um and you put ferrets in each of the tubes and it's and it's a question of which one comes out the other end first um a long long-standing noble tradition along along with piglet racing <laughs> The West Coast. We know how to make our own fun, um, but um, that was actually the only other thing that I wanted to mention about this article, which was that um, in this wind farm, the generation is, you know, the main thing, but also uh, the land use is dominated by cattle grazing because you've got five thousand acres, and each foot, the footprint of each turbine is actually quite small, um, and um, you know, the rest of it you may as well use for for cattle. So mm. great com- combined use. I mean, you could argue that it's not necessarily it's it's somewhat mixed climate messaging in that you're using this land to generate power in a very carbon uh low low carbon intensity way and then also using it to generate the most carbon intensive form of (laughs) food um so you know partial partial credit um but uh you know another another one of these it's just a totally different way of thinking about energy generation renewables it's so interesting and actually the, the the bottom of this um because you know, Wikipedia articles they have like a little section at the bottom where they will um, sort of say related reading, and sometimes there's sort of you know a whole category. So for this, there's there's a whole category of wind power in the United States, um, which I have to admit isn't something that I think of very much. Um, you know, it's it's not a, a, a nation that I think of as being largely powered, well, certainly not largely, but significantly powered by wind. Mm. Whereas certainly the UK very much is. Um, I think we get about. 20 25% typically of our of our generation from wind because mm. we are fantastically generated you know positioned for it and obviously yeah. because america is such a huge land there will be places that will be perfect for it mm. um but it's a top i don't know maybe this is a topic i could make a video about that'd be interesting i've got to stop doing that i've got to i've got to stop looking at topics and being i can make content out of this yeah. how can i monetize this <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much um right well with that snap daniel um and we have gosh it's been it's so nice to do this again and we've been we've just been shooting this for 20 something minutes this is great um but i would like to know especially seeing as you've had over a month to think about it what is your choral piece of the week and this will be my piece of the week drum roll please well my choral piece of the week. I mentioned earlier uh, that there's some really great uh, epiphany pieces, um, and I was chatting with uh, a reader of this very podcast earlier today, and uh, he mentioned a piece called uh, "Kana's Guest" um, by I think is it Richard Allen. Okay, I don't think I've ever heard of this. It's an amazing piece of music. Um, so it's not particularly sort of long, but the entire piece is one sort of um, gradual sort of crescendo, really. Um, and it's whenever I hear it, I can't stop myself from sort of welling up 
because it's it's it just gets richer and richer and the texture gets sort of thicker and thicker um and there's this 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 moment of sort of real jubilant i'm trying to find the the lyrics to it it's very popular and certainly i know that the exeter cathedral are doing it i think um quite soon actually um that's a completely new one to me it's it's amazing it's really amazing and i highly recommend you listen to it it's not you know it's not particularly long um maybe two and a half minutes but it just builds and builds and gets louder and louder and bigger and bigger and then suddenly sort of sort of floats away but it's it's beautiful do we want to wade into the controversy that happened with the carol world cup this year <laughs> Ooh. so on twitter there is a uh, a twitter sort of page profile if you like um that was previously titled the even song cup and it was a um a sort of World Cup of sorts are featuring um, particular music. I think it started with Canticles and then did responses and things. So different sections of music from different parts of an Evensong service and would would sort of pit certain um, composers and pieces against each other. And, and then the Twitter community would uh, vote and we would see who had won the World Cup for that particular. It was one of the, the nerdiest things. Mm, it's ne- I, I mean, I niche doesn't even sort of cut it really. <laughs> the World Cup of 21st Century Carols was what happened this year over Christmas, and it was featuring um, carols written by 21st century composers. Um, there was some great stuff, really, really great stuff, and it ended up uh, coming down to two two composers, Philip Stopford, who's um, sort of prolific, certainly in sort of Christmassy music, but but just generally um, his music is very widely composed. Um, uh, we've sung quite a bit, actually, about Exeter. I mean, one of, the, one of the classic canticles that we did was... The, a lot of stuff that's really good, really good. One of the classic canticles that I was introduced to by uh, Michael Graham was um, the, the Truro canticles, which mm. are quite unique. And I have to admit, I have a really, really quite a soft spot for the Nunk, even though it's very simple. It's a very, very nice piece of music. Absolutely. Um, he's also he he'd also written um, a very well known, highly performed carol, Luli Lula Lule, um, which I actually which actually featured in my program um, with the Chagford Singers because we had our Christmas concert, um, which was great fun. Is it is it the the Coventry Carol? Yeah, it has a historical name, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think it's certainly that text, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so Philip Stopford was made it into the final against. Um, oh golly! Oh, I actually can't remember who it was. Well, I, have, I hadn't heard of the, this carol. No, nor, nor had I. Yashani Perin Panayaga Perin Panayagam, I think. Okay. Perin, yeah, Perin Panayagam, I think is how it goes in Bethlehem Above, which is beautiful, and I think someone like Stila Antico or the Jesualdo Six or some sort of really high caliber small ensemble recorded quite a bit of her stuff, and it's beautiful. It's really, really nice. But it's safe to say that Stopford, you know, for better or for worse, um, is more widely composed and well-known. But only just squeaked it in the final. Yeah, only only just sort of managed to managed to sort of get his hands on on the victory. And I think really it came down to just people seeing Stopford's name and thinking, oh, yeah, I'll vote for Stopford, um, rather than, you know, actually properly listening to the music. And But that, that's so frequently how these votes go, right? It's frequently just a, a popularity contest. Sure. Um, uh, and now whether you can say, you know, which piece is objectively better or not, that's a very hard question to ask because, or rather answer, um, because it's down to personal taste and obviously your court of opinions of a particular poser or the style of music will heavily affect that. What 
yeah, wasn't so nice was um, the sort of slightly snarky comments that would be made when he had found that he'd won. So I think Yashani had put a post out saying something like, uh, so so great to be involved in this. Can't believe I made it to the final. Thanks for anyone who voting who voted for me. Um, uh, let's you know, um, please do vote for me and let's see if we can get a get a win. That would be great fun. And I think Stopford commented on that on her own thread, saying something like, "Ooh, so close," or something. But but <laughs> it's, not in a joking it's not, sort of like banterous yeah. way, just in a sort of way of like gloating. <laughs> um, it's what the kids refer to. As- Housery in the context of football, I believe, <laughs> which is choral housery. <laughs> it was just a real shame. It was, um, yeah, because it's because as you say, they've done this several times before, and the, the benefit of that is that none of the composers can start beef with each other because they're all dead, um, or, or pretty much all dead. Um, so it's it you know it's it's I suppose as soon as you drag living people into the mix, it just gets a bit messier, doesn't it? Um, but you know, I, I, what do you think they'll do next time? Because they've done, as you say, canticles, responses, carols. Have they done another one? Have they done mass settings? I think they have done mass settings. Yeah, they have. There's more nerder. I mean, to be fair, you could you could probably just do the World Cup of Bach cantatas, and you'd get people fighting tooth and nail over it. <laughs> I don't know what they do next. Maybe. Hmm. I think I, I honestly think the the smart play would be to make it something specific to a composer like, and even if you did it as a smaller a smaller World Cup, you could have like, um, you know, Mozart sonatas or operas. Actually, just operas you could probably do, um, you know. Yeah, that would I think that would prove that would be very divisive as well, wouldn't it? It'd be people. Yeah. Yeah. Because people who you know sing on stage whether that's musical theater or operatic singers famously you know very even tempered they don't hold grudges they're, they're not petty in the slightest mm. but you know very even keeled so i'm sure it would be fine <laughs> just uh, we sing in stalls actually we're you know we're, we're not like you we are not the same <laughs> <laughs> So we find ourselves in critics' corner, and um, I, I have a couple of things that I'd I'd want to talk about. Do Do you have anything that's really stuck out over the past couple of weeks? Because it has been quite a while. Let's face it. I uh, do. That you've enjoyed not so much in the last couple of weeks, but certainly in about the past four days. Oh boy. Um, and it all, as is so often the case, Hugo Wickham is to blame. Oh, uh, oh! How many stories have started with this? <laughs> yes, go on. So, uh. I mentioned earlier that I mostly spent Christmas at home with my family. They live in Oxfordshire. Um, Mm. But I went into London for New Year um, to go to Hugo's for a little sort of jolly New Year's party. Um, We had a really lovely day. Um, Went into London fairly early in the morning. Um, Went to the most amazing, beautiful restaurant in Covent Garden for a really special lunch. And then later went over to Hugo's um, for this this do and had a riotous night. It was great fun. Um, I was in, I was also given a tour around uh, Westminster Cathedral um, on, oh. on on New Year's Eve sort of afternoon, which was amazing. Having never been in the building before, it's an utterly fabulous building. Um, so very appreciative for that. Uh, but yeah, I had a great night. Um, and then the following day when most of us were all feeling pretty hungover. Um, I wandered into the sort of living room and Hugo was sort of welded to the sofa, 
drinking orange juice out of the out of the uh, carton and just looking a bit sorry for himself but he had something on the television and i thought hmm i recognize this but i i i haven't sort of watched it and i was a bit sort of dubious because i don't know there's something so like i've i really struggle to watch it's always sunny um mm. it just doesn't really do it for me um it's not my sort of humor i guess um so I sort of like, well, I'll give it, you know, I'll give it a chance and watch. And anyway, he was watching House with Hugh Laurie. You mentioned this. Yes. House MD. And we, I watched maybe, I don't know, the best part of one episode and actually thought, oh, that's that's pretty good. And it would have been a random episode in, in something like, in like season five or something. So that I didn't really know the characters. I hadn't really t- developed any sort of relationship or, or sort of yeah. connection with them. Anyway, came back to Exeter and started watching House and I very proudly can say I've now finished the entire first season of House, which is a quite, a, quite, a, quite the feat because it's 22 <laughs> episodes and each episode's 45 minutes long. The last time we spoke, Dan, you, you said how you'd been binging Friends. Like, wh- wh- how? It, it's astonishing <laughs> you do this with long-form series. Have you ever just seen, like, a short-form, like, three-episode miniseries and you're like, yeah, I'll do that for a change? Like, <laughs> yeah, I suppose sometimes. I mean, I think the thing that's so sort of ridiculous with me is that I I come to things so late, mm. so comically late, you know. Um, but um, House, great. I'm really, really liking it. I don't know how the rest of the seasons will sort of go on, but Hugh, Hugh Laurie's very sort of endearing and his sort of acerbic nature is quite fun to watch. Um, I used to watch when I was in Australia and the family I was living with in the last sort of year or so, we used to watch a lot of Grey's Anatomy. So I think it's sort of tapping into that sort of medical drama satisfaction thing. But then is also, you know, while there are serious moments, there are moments where it doesn't take itself too seriously because um, Gregory House, MD, is just a complete sort of, you know, sarcastic, dry, I said, acerbic um, character. And it's, it's really good. So yeah, House would be the sort of top of my list. Otherwise, I haven't really watched anything except for the new Green Planet. We spoke about David this. Attenborough thing on BBC. I watched that last night, which was great. Oh, ah, no, I haven't seen that yet. It's right, really well, I know good. what I'm doing tonight. Really good. Um, um, I'm looking forward we, to the next. We episode. spoke about House at the pub, and I'll just repeat what I said there because I've, I, I, basically, I used to really like House, and when I, um, uh, now when would it have been? I think it might have been when I went to Exeter. I think Michael might have mentioned this to me. I tried watching Suits because House and Suits, as far as I can tell, very similar shows. It's just that one is medicine-based and one is is legal legally based, right? Like, instead mm. of doctors, you have lawyers. There's a case every week and it's just a medical case or a legal case, whatever. Um, but I think the difference is that like with House, at least I'm aware roughly of what each an internal organ does, you know? Like... I know that where arms are supposed to attach. I have an understanding of medicine. And so when a... What is basically a deus ex machina is pulled out of the bag by House, at least I vaguely know, you know, it makes logical sense, mm. right? Like, I, you know, I can follow the the, the argument. Whereas with, with Suits, which I wanted to like... I, I don't have that level of understanding of the law. And I and I don't know if this is... Have, have you watched Suits? And do you find that actually you can watch it in a way similar to House, where you roughly do know what's on, what's going on? Or is it that American law is so different to British law that it, you're also kind of clueless? I mean, it is very different. Um, I definitely, I've seen, I think, bits of Suits. Um, 
but I think what I would I, what I struggle with more is the sort of the sort of form and style of the program as opposed to whether I can engage with the law or not. Right. Um, if you know what I mean. Um, maybe I'll give it a go. Maybe I'll like it. I'd be interested to know what you think because yeah. that was the thing that killed my enjoyment of the show was just that you know. And also, I suppose, by unfavourable comparison to House, which I have not watched all of it, but I probably watched about half of all the episodes. Like, Mm. I watched it for quite a while. Yeah. Um, And then I also tried watching um, Fringe with Denethor uh, in it, um, which, again, similar kind of show, but it's like kind of the edges of technology, but not. And I watched a couple of episodes and hated it because it was just so pseudoscience. Yeah. but yeah, uh, I don't know. Maybe I should go back and watch that. To be fair, I've been doing my own binging. I've been I've been watching Star Trek. I, I'm midway through watching Deep Space Nine now. I'm like, I'm literally about halfway through the whole run of the show, and that's three and a bit seasons now. Right. And each season has twenty six episodes. Gosh. And they're forty five minutes each, and it's <laughs> it's it's a lot. Mm. It, it, I feel deeply deeply nerdy watching it but speaking so the two things i wanted to mention um were firstly another nerdy thing that is becoming increasingly not nerdy is uh the witcher oh yes yeah, obviously I've, I've seen all of season two now i i i really did quite like season one i don't think it was perfect but it was really quite good um and i felt like season two just wasn't quite there like it just the the writing for me just wasn't it didn't quite hang together as well like yeah you know the, I I liked how in season one it was basically like each episode was almost like a mission in in a Witcher game like yes. there was there was a monster you introduced to you solved the scenario but there's also the big overarching plot hmm. um but in this this one I felt like there was that really strong episode at the start with the vampire lady living in the walls oh yeah that was great. Uh, um, and really effective. I mean, that's the thing. In this season, the the, the creature designs have been phenomenal. Mm. As a like sort of every single one visual feast. It's amazing. It There's, really was. You know, they've done such a good job. Not least Henry Cavill being the size and shape of a brick house. Mm. Like, yeah, he's incredible, he, isn't he? He's so big um, and so nerdy. Obviously, big fan because of the Warhammer thing. Um, but um, yeah, I, I just felt like the. That was like that was that episode gave me a lot of hope, and then the rest of the season I just felt like the overarching story really wasn't very strong, and equally the individual episodes weren't very strong. I felt like they tried to go more in on that longer form story, and it just missed a bit. Mm. Um, but really enjoyable, like Pixagirl really really got into it. Um, she she absolutely loved loved watching The Witcher, like because it's kind of Game of Thrones but more fantasy and better. <laughs> yeah, basically, than the, certainly than the later seasons. I think Game of Thrones at its peak was is pretty untouchable, really. Yeah, um, when it was pretty closely based on the books. I think season two for me, the thing that I found quite sort of jarring was there was a lot of a lot of jumping around. Yeah, and there were the, the timelines being yeah. Uh, yeah different timelines. Yeah, so there was there was there was sort of a slight unpredictability from a chronological perspective, but then also just different stories hap- that are meant to be happening at the same time, just not really knowing like where we're going to next and, oh, hang on, we're now here. Is this in the park? Wait, hang- where- you know, that was the thing that I found yeah, most yeah. sort of hard to hard to get my head around. But, you know, the, perfor- the did- performances were good. 
you know, that's, that's... They, well, they referenced it though, didn't they? They referenced the whole timelines thing in this season with uh, when that dock worker has a go at Jaskier for his writing, and he's like, "I, I thought it would it would be better. I didn't realise there were two timelines." <laughs> oh yeah, which I thought was quite, I which that. I thought was yeah, quite yeah. clever. Um, but I also like Pixel Girl, and I have also realised that Jaskier is just Ed Dunn, uh, our, our dear friend yes. uh, Ed. <laughs> Whenever he's on screen, it's like, "Oh, it's Ed." In in the same way as like when we watched Umbrella Academy, and he's just Klaus. Um, yeah, he, he's a, apparently all of our favourite TV characters. <laughs> we will be celebrating a a birthday very soon, will he not? Very soon, I think. Well, by the time this episode come comes out, it will have happened. Yeah, but happy birthday, Ed! If you're listening to this, hopefully listening to it in a quiet moment after you've had a long day working in your own business, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, happy birthday, friend! Apps, baps. Uh, the other thing that I just briefly wanted to mention was a surprise discovery for me that I kind of fell into from right. the Jingle Jam. Mm. Um, so a game that I would have passed over had it not been for Lewis's recommendation called Murder by Numbers. Mm. And what this is, is a... <laughs> God, this is going to sound so stupid. It's a um, anime-inspired police detective game where in order to advance the plot, you have to solve these puzzles called Picocross. And it's quite difficult to describe, but it's basically you have like a grid, and the objective is you're trying to uncover an image because the grid um, is filled with um, like solid squares and blank squares, and those solid squares will make a shape. And where the solid squares are is determined by some numbers that are written at the top of each row sorry, the top of each column and on the side of each row. And that will basically tell you how many full filled-in squares there are in that row or in that column. Hmm. And you can basically deduce by, by a certain one. So, for example, if there's a, um, a column that is 10 squares tall and you know that there are eight squares that are going to be filled in in a row that it's either going to start from the top and so it's going to go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8... Or it's going to start from the bottom, in which case it's going to go, uh, what, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. But there are common numbers between those two options. So you know that there's going to be filled in squares in the middle. Mm-hmm. And when you fill that in, then suddenly it actually starts filling in pieces of information about other rows. Because you might know that, oh, okay, well, that means that there has to be... Um, you know, that that, that that is the start of a distribution on this row. Mm. And you do that over and over again, and eventually you make a picture. And it's one of these games that on paper I would not at all be interested in, but it's really in- compelling. And even though I told myself I'm just, I just want to do the puzzles, the story did actually kind of draw me in, and I'm really looking forward to getting on to the next case. I think I saw um, a clip actually. of this. And I think it was... They did do it was a video. Lewis, Lewis getting really ben. annoyed at Boba for not being able to sort of figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, but uh, yes, so uh, it was in the Jingle Jam. I'm not sure how much it is um, on its own, but it's. I really, really enjoyed it. I was talking to somebody the other night about... Um, they, they're they very keen on Sudoku. And that's something that I can sort of do, and it takes a while because I'm not great with numbers. Hmm. Just like visually, numbers sort of freak me out a bit. Um but I was thinking I wanted to sort of try my hand at a Sudoku that rather in rather than using numbers, uses colours. Okay. And the only thing that I found, I was looking at this 
um, the other night. There is, I found a Reddit page that has somebody has created basically like, it's like a wooden board that uses pieces that basically look like M&Ms um, or Smarties, but, but mm. use colors instead of those numbers. And then, and then it just, you know, it's the sort of similar rules apply really to, to, to Sudoku. Um, and I was wanting to sort of actually try and give it a go because I wonder, I wonder whether the sort of, depending on the sort of type of brain that you have, being able to clearly see differences in color on the, on, you know, for what's in front of you, as opposed to black and white numbers, whether it would sort of be easier or harder. Mm. And I was reading through the comments on Reddit and lots of people are saying, this looks infinitely more confusing to me. You know, I much prefer numbers, but then other people saying like, yeah, someone said here, as someone with a learning disorder centered around maths and numbers, this would be so much easier for me. And it was just a sort of interesting thing. Like, well, because you can be, um, oh no, what is it? There's, there's the numerical equivalent of dyslexia. Of dyslexia, yeah, yeah, which is, um, oh, what's it called? Dyscalcula. That's it. Perplexia. <laughs> <laughs> it's called uh, being normal. I think. Yeah, um, yeah dyscalcula. But. Um, but yeah, like, because I, I, it also taps into this idea of like different learning styles, which is mm. something that I actually believe for quite a while, but it turns out it has no bear, no supporting data whatsoever. It's just one of these myths that sort of buried itself in popular education and then just persisted. Whereas if you ask Pixel Girl or someone who studies educational literature, um, no bearing whatsoever. But I think numbers is a particular case to be fair and I, I i could totally believe that someone such as yourself or, or, or somebody who is less especially someone who's spent less time doing maths frankly um would probably find it easier with with spatial information like that that's interesting i mean i have to admit i'm terrible at sudokus i am really bad at them um so maybe i should give this a yeah, go it takes me takes me ages to to try and to try and figure it out this person likes doing killer sudokus what, so there's like Ted Bundy in one square, which means he can't <laughs> yeah. be in a different square? They're sort of, um, each square is grouped into a certain shape and then there'll be a, there'll be a, in that sort of group that might look like a sort of Tetris block, there'll be a number. So like all of the numbers there, rather than just being able to put Boy. numbers anywhere to make it work, you've got to put certain numbers in certain places to make a certain number. Um, do you ever... Do you ever look at like, and I, I don't do this frequently, I'll be honest, like when but when you see someone reading the newspaper and they have like the puzzle square page open mm. and, and you've got your normal ones, you've got your crosswords, you've got your Sudokus, and then you look at the other ones and you're like, who the f*** asked for these? Yeah. <laughs> like, who thought this was a good idea? I really want to try and, and, and properly get into cryptic crosswords. Because that is a skill in itself. I, yeah. I, I can do normal crosswords. Fine, but mm. cryptic, no, terrible. Well, it's a totally, cryptics have a totally different approach and there is there is an actual sort of way of doing them. There's a way of sort of looking at the question and reading the question and, and breaking the question down and knowing that, okay, when they say this, they mean this. When they say this mm. sort of a phrase, they, you know, this is what it's getting at, you know. I, I, that might be a challenge for this year, try and get into cryptic crosswords. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's a, it's an honourable thing. I mean, I've got my, did you, actually, that's a point. This is the part of the, the, place to talk about it actually is do you, is that sort of a new year's resolution for you do you have any others um i mean the biggest resolution is to sort of try and get all of this law stuff done <laughs> yeah um yeah. because my lpc and masters starts this week actually um which is really exciting um but slightly stressful because while this new course has started i still haven't technically completely finished my gdl um i need mm. i still have my final exams to sit um so providing all of that goes well and all of my other assessments in the past year have gone well, 
then hopefully I'll get an email saying, yeah, you've been awarded your GDL. Your graduation will be at some point. And then I can just tell the University of Law, oh yeah, no, I've got it. And they'll keep me on the course for the LPC and Masters. If something doesn't go well, um, which would be quite the shock because nothing has gone wrong so far, um, well, then I'd have to resit something but I wouldn't be able to stay on this course. So they would have to, I'd have to join another cohort, which means I'd probably have to join in September this year, which wouldn't be ideal. Um, but, you know, we'll have to sort of see, really. So your resolutions are get qualified in law and learn to do crypto crosswords. Yeah, which I think is a sort of quite a nice combo. Yeah, but basically equal accomplishment, mm. if I'm honest. Um <laughs> I mean, I, I was just wanted to, I, I want to try and learn six pieces on the piano. I've, I'm trying to make a habit of playing the piano every day um, because yeah. I've never had lessons and it's always been a skill that I've wanted to have. I want to be able to, um, you know, event, eventually, you know, be able to do things like accompany people, but also things like, you know, just sit and entertain myself at a piano by improvising. Like yeah. my it, my first instruments were more jazzy, you know, it was saxophone and, and well, and cornet, I guess. Um, but um, you know, and the, so I, I love improvising, but mm. I've never been able to do it. I've never had the knowledge to be able to do it on the piano. So, you do crypto crosswords, and I'll do that. Perfect. Top lad. And as you all know by now, it's that time again where we move on to Patreon Corner to say an enormous thank you to those who support us on our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash the Wikicast. Um, Simon, why is Patreon so important? Patreon's so important because it means that we can do the show. Um, it pays for Focus, our current <laughs> editor, and it, you know, is eventually going to pay for us actually being able to make some content together, which, now that I'm well, and eventually this pandemic is going to f*** off, mm. uh, we'll hopefully be able to do. And we've got plenty of ideas queued up. We just need to actually find the time and the, you know, <laughs> the, the, the lack of pandemic to do it, which... Um, you know, it's all going to be your fault. When you see that content and you're supporting us on Patreon, you will know that it's entirely your fault. Absolutely. On the Patreon, you can support us as a top cat or a top dog, basically declaring your undying allegiance to the superior household pet. I will admit that I um, actually took a Dachshund for a walk the other day. My friends have just got themselves a new uh, a, a Dachshund puppy, and it, it was adorable. Lovely. But, um... Still Team Cat. Um, and with that in mind, I'd like to thank the top cat patrons who support $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash the wikicast. Those people being Will Jenis Humphreys, Choco Cat, Rents Kirk, Simon P, Oliver Burkhart, Nathan Flaherty, Layla Medina, Matt Maguire, Lewis Watson, Princess Andromeda, Jack Easton, Isabel Ostrowski, Izzy CC, Nafi Iftikar, Dame Valerie III, Easy, Dan Hanvey, Oliver Craigie, Cole Mansfield, Bendant, Andy Hartley and Abu El Ella, the physics boy. And I would like to say an enormous thank you to the top dog supporters Aaron Jorgensen, Alistair Fortune, Amy Bonney, Adrian with an N, Chan, Ben Capers. Andrian! And oh, I keep doing that. I keep. <laughs> you did it last time! Yeah, I know. I can't, I can't read. Because you said Adrian with an N. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. You've got a mustache. I know. I know. <laughs> Andrian with an N, Chan, Ben Capels, Ben McMurtry, uh, Brain Dev Null, uh, Colin J. Brown, Eric Bolliger, Eve Sharples, Hasse Hansen, Henry VII, King of England and of France, Lord of Ireland, Jay Wright, Josh Shiaga, Codzo, Lexi at front desk, Maggie, Martin Narciso, uh, Michael Gustafsson, 
Sure. Nufflerock, Peter Reed, and Sam Harvey, the everlasting student. Thank you so much for your support. Top lad. We find ourselves now in Correspondence Corner, and we have a couple of emails here, one of which from the day that we actually recorded the last uh, Wikicast, but uh, after, you know, in, in the evening of that day. So apologies to Matt for missing this message for so long, but we have it and we're going to read it now. Matt says, I spent 834 minutes listening to the Wikicast in 2021. Incredible. Hang on, that's 10... One eternity later... What, 13, 14 hours? Something like that? I guess, yeah. You people are nuts. Fire. 14 um, hours. Right. Well done. <clears throat> De- Matt says, Dear Simon and Daniel, with this Omicronic year coming to a close, I, uh, that actually feels right. Spotify's wrapped are a thing again, and mine featured you prominently. Turns out I spend a lot of time driving, washing the dishes, and walking in the park because 834 minutes of 2021, almost 14 hours. Hey, I was pretty. I'm pretty impressed with myself, uh, was spent listening to YouTube babble about bullshit. As of my writing this sentence, that is 0.17, lots of numbers, percent of my year. Golly. What a waste. <laughs> what a time. Uh, no doubt I am not the only reader to have you feature so proudly in my rap, but to be honest, I've been waiting for a reason to write in, and this seemed perfect. It's niche, interesting to few, boring to most, and way too specific. Sound familiar? He's on to us. Simon, he's on to us. <laughs> Run! <laughs> um, perhaps you noticed by now that I quite like numbers and stats. In fact, that's what I studied. Statistics along with French and economics as my other undergrad majors. That's mm. an interesting mix. Yeah. Um, I'm still convinced I'm the only person to ever have that combination of majors at my university. The University of Cape Town, that is. Oh, wow. Wow. I graduated last year. Congrats. And I'm now working at a tech startup as their data scientist in the city. I have a lot of freedom working for such a young company and with not a single employee over 30. Wow. I'd be too old to work at this company. Wow. Um, I'm really lucky to be enjoying my first job so much. Well done. Um, uh, Aside from work, I've just moved into a new flat with my boyfriend. Any other gay readers out there? I can tell you absolutely yes. 100%. Very much not alone. I love how diverse this this community of, of listeners is. Um, so yes, definitely definitely not our only um, gay reader, don't worry. Uh, and his colleague. It's been a bit of an adjustment starting a nine to five and becoming fully independent. But overall, it's been a good one and I'm excited for the year ahead. I don't really have anything else to add or ask except to say thank you for making this podcast. I tell my boyfriend that listening to it often just feels like chatting over some beers with friends. And now I've finally been able to contribute my bit of nonsense to the conversation. Keep on babbling bullshit, Matt. We surely will, Matt. We surely will. I like that. Yeah, I've finally been able to contribute my bit of non-tent. I, everybody who writes in that, you're weaving a thread into the tapestry. That's what you're doing. Thank you very much, Matt. What a lovely email. We have an email here from a long-term reader um, titled, uh, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Mm. It begins, Sup, lads. Long-term reader and proud team dog supporter. I was watching a live stream by Cracking the Cryptic. It's two blokes who solve Sudoku puzzles, if you haven't heard of them. And they played the game wow, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. I, I mean, this is, again, this is one of those weird infinite universe things, isn't it? Yeah. For anyone who hasn't heard of the game, it's basically a multiplayer game where one person tries to defuse a bomb by completing a series of puzzles guided only by the instructions of the expert, who can read the manual but cannot see the game. I've seen this and it looks fantastic. Yeah. Um, together the players must work together uh, to identify the modules on the bomb and the correct solution to defuse it all without 
running out of time or using up their strikes. Communication is key. While watching the stream, it occurred to me that this would make brilliant content for the Sponge and Electric YouTube channel, either in live stream or pre-recorded form. Live stream would probably be better. I'd be better as long as the expert doesn't cheat. Also, if you were to get drunk and play it, well, I approve of that too. Best wishes for Christmas and the New Year, Jay. That's an excellent idea. I I, I totally agree. That is an easy game that we sh- we we should be putting on. Sponge we could and coincide this with. All- I still have all of those miniatures. Those bottles of That's you know, say, drinking around the world. Saying this earlier, there are so many videos, ideas that we've wanted to do, and it's just been every time we've put a date in the calendar, something's come up, and it's normally been the pandemic. The other thing that we need to look at now we're in the new year is to find re- a really obscure festival. Can you remember? I was hoping you'd say that. Yeah, yes. absolutely. We need to do this. We need to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think... This oh I don't know how what would the best way to do this because I think I think I like the idea of getting both of us on camera mm-hmm. doing this, um, and it may well be, hmm, I definitely think we could do this as a live stream thing. I'm sure we um, could. Yeah. Oh, that's a fantastic suggestion, Jay. Thank you. That is really really cool. Yeah. We're, we're going to do that for sure. And then just to close off this section, we have an email, very brief email from Felix saying, Dear Simon and Dan, I just wanted to email in and say thank you for the podcast, the songs you're singing. Thanks for all the joy. You're... No, it doesn't actually say that. Um, by the way, did you know that in Star Wars, the music the cantina play, band plays is called Jizz? Oh, yes, I did. I did know this. I did know this, but I think there was another fact to do with this. Um, it's like... That was it. <laughs> Do you know the name of the musicians that specialize in the genre? Um, no, I don't. <laughs> They're yep. called jizz whalers. Jizz whalers. As in whale whale. No, as in wh- like I cry out yes. whale. Yeah, yeah, jizz whalers. Fantastic. I'm a jizz whaler. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean... <laughs> oh, for God's sake. Why? Why does this need to be a thing? Max Rebo and his band were popular jizz whalers. <laughs> I assume that's the one from Moss Eisley. It must be. No, oh no. Max Rebo is the um the blue aardvark looking guy in Jabba's Palace. A, and a popular jizz whaler who led the Max Rebo band. He was the one who led the band. Oh, uh, yeah. The group are classified as jizz whalers, which, according to the Star Wars Encyclopedia, refers to a musician who plays a fast, contemporary and upbeat style of music. Max and Droopy were portrayed in actors in body, by actors in bodysuits. I mean, this is like the Emperor Palpatine hospital. Surgical reconstruction <laughs> <Yeah>. centre. <laughs> it's two in a row, but at my word, it's one of my favourite things. It's so good. But what... what it's if you so go good. on the Star Wars fandom wiki, it says um, that Jizz, Jizz first appeared in um, Return of the Jedi. So I, I think that means that the, um, what's it called? The music in the Mos Eisley Cantina mm-hmm. isn't Jizz, which is what I thought it was. But what's interesting is it says it was first identified as Jizz. <laughs> With a blacklight. No, um... In the Star Wars Return of the Jedi Junior novelization. Right. It was released in 2017. So they put jizz into the junior novelization to make them laugh. It's basically what we've established there. 
I don't know if it would have been. That's such a bizarre choice. I mean, are we at this point, are we really surprised? No. No, no is the honest answer to that question. Um, why, why, why does this need to be a thing? Oh, oh my God, I didn't notice the, um, the list. <laughs> the list of instruments, Dan, used in jizz music. Okay. Um, because you could play the bass viol, or you could play the clack beep box, or the fanfare, or the jizz box. <laughs> oh my goodness. The jizz or box. the peel rod. Or the slitherhorn, or the plung sounder. This is like you've got your own regular plumbus. First, yes, the grumbo, yes, is, and then shaved away. Oh my god! I, uh, the, I play the jizz box. What is the jizz box? I want to know. Shut it down. Shut it down. Oh, because <laughs> oh my god, it gets better. Dad, it gets better. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm gonna read you. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a quote here from the Wikipedia entry. This is verbatim. Okay. The jizz box was a musical device. In 13 ABY, the protocol droid C3PO, who was stranded on the planet of Nimdrovis, auditioned to perform at a cantina called the Wookiee's Codpiece. Oh, for heaven's sake. C-3PO performed by playing back songs stormed in his memory core with his vocabulator. The assistant manager of the establishment told the droid that he sounded like a festering jizz box and rejected him, saying that the codpiece already had a jizz box to play. That's so silly, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Did they just get drunk and start writing some of this stuff? The assistant manager said he sounded like a festering jizz box and rejected him, saying, we've already got a jizz box to play. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, <laughs> there are no words. There are no words. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Um, and on that bombshell. <laughs> on that bombshell. Simon, uh, what have we learned today? <laughs> we've, we've learned things no human should learn, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> we've learned about the Red Hills Wind Farm. Um a 5,000-acre wind farm in Oklahoma, uh, which we talked about super briefly. Because For all we were... of 10 seconds before we started on to ichthyosaurs uh, and... Christmas, um, sickness, health, better, worse. We had a choral um, piece of the week in the form of Kana's Guest by Richard Alain. We talked about uh, The Witcher, we talked about House, we talked about... God, we packed in a lot this episode, actually. My my goodness. Just so much. And then we ruined it all. <laughs> By saying, Jizzbox. Jizzbox, exactly. <laughs> and then I go and ruin it all by saying something, something stupid, stupid like, Jizzbox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my days. And that's all for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to... Oh, my gosh. Hang on, let's, let's do that again. <laughs> And that's all for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice, join the Discord, and if you'd like to see our faces, check out our YouTube channel, Spongy and Electric. Your favourite jizz instruments, game recommendations, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble into the wiki jizz box. <laughs> oh, why? <laughs> 
I like the oh, idea. Oh, that's of, horrid. The, the fact no. that tumble is is in that sentence is even worse. Oh no! <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> you slip on it. Oh no! Oh no!